In this week's update, perspective on what just happened to all global asset markets. What does the end of cheap money really mean for investors? And a big breakout in gold. My name's Gary Davis. As always, this is general advice only. And please remember to like and subscribe to the video. All right, there's a lot to unpack uh, this week. A uh, huge amount has happened since um, the collapse of the uh, Silicon Valley Bank. So let's have a look at uh, the market perspective. Um, I'm not going to go through all the detail of what happened because I'm sure you've, you've read that in, uh, in great quantities in the last week. Uh, but let's just uh, try and step back and, and put it all together. Um, there's, we've got a, a banking crisis now on, pos on the top of what the market's been worried about for some time since the rate rises started, and that's a possible recession. Um, so fighting inflation by raising interest rates was always going to expose the flaws in the financial system. And if you step back and look at what's happened over the last 30, 40 years, then, and particularly the last, um, you know, 10, then it's pretty obvious that the balloon was being squeezed in all sorts of different ways. The financial system around the world was being stressed and there were going to be inevitable unintended consequences of that. And so the rapid rise in interest rates that we've seen since um, the middle of 2022 has put a massive stress on the global financial system and we're now getting the unintended consequences that were that were always going to happen. The Basel III financial rules for banks was supposed to de-risk the financial systems and, and it certainly has to a degree and I think it's, um, it's probably done a pretty good job in Australia of making sure that our banking system is, um, is uh, very solid and very secure. But some parts of the world's uh, financial system have um, have slipped through the cracks, if you like, and and certainly that is the case with um, uh, with the the SVB Bank. So that now puts central banks between the proverbial rock and a hard place, because banks only survive on the confidence of depositors, and we've seen that the confidence of depositors got got rocked because. The, the rising interest rates caused a particular situation with, uh, with their bond holdings, and that caused everyone to want to get their money out. Now, central banks, fortunately, have learned from 2008, and they acted immediately. They didn't stand around and think about it for a few weeks. They acted immediately over the weekend and, um, and injected massive amounts of money, and, and so did the Swiss authorities with respect to uh, Credit Suisse. And th that was designed to preserve confidence, to stop the bank run. Because if, if there hadn't been a bank run on SVB, then we wouldn't even be having this conversation. It was purely the bank run that, um, that caused the problem. If people hadn't taken their money out of the bank and those bonds had been allowed to uh, go to maturity, then there wouldn't have been a loss. It was only the fact that they had to basically recognise the loss. So the irony here is that, and this is really where poor management comes into play, SVB would have been absolutely fine if they bought safe treasuries. So they, they put a lot of this money that they'd been um, deposited from the basically the, the tech and the startup industry, and they put it into safe treasuries, thinking that that was safe. But what they didn't do 
was to hedge their interest rate risk. And so as a result, they've, they've effectively bought an asset um, at, a, uh, at a high price. If they bought that at a more sensible time in the cycle, and I've been talking about this for two or three years, that this was a, you know, a really lousy time to be buying bonds. So they bought bonds at the top of the cycle, and uh, that's what's, and they're not hedged it, and that's what's unstitched them. So when you step back and look big picture, ultra low rates that we had that unfolded from the GFC through to um, to 2021. Um, really set up the financial system to fail. You know, this was always going to happen when you when you step back and look at it. So who was responsible for that? Well, certainly central banks. You know, interest rates should never have been zero. They should never have been negative as they were in Europe and in several other places. Um, central banks acting on behalf of governments. Um, so they're certainly to blame. And in some cases, with some banks, uh, poor management is um, is part of it as well. Now, this is another perfect example for investors not to do what the herd is doing because SVB Bank did what the herd was doing and what many other um, financial institutions were doing. They were, they were buying bonds when it was um, blatantly the wrong time to be buying bonds. So buying bonds when prices were high was a huge mistake. People trying to front run what they thought Fed policy was going to be. Buying rubbish stocks at high prices, as we saw a lot of in um, in 2019, 2020, 2021, um, you know that is also another recipe for disaster. So, and there's many, many other examples. So, if you're doing what the herd is doing, then you, you know eventually the market is going to get you. You know that's what history tells us. So, if we look at inflation and rates, inflation is showing signs of easing. That's there's no denying that. Um, it's coming down. It's not coming down fast enough for the as the authorities would like, but it is coming down. It's also apparent that rates are probably close to peaking as well, uh, if they haven't peaked already, brought on by this financial crisis. So that's the big unknown. Will the Fed back off because of this financial crisis, or will they keep going? The good news out of all this is that because interest rates have gone up by three or four percent, then central banks have now got more room to cut compared to the last two crises. So that's the good news. There is some room to move. The best outcome for equities would be that the banks in danger get bailed out, but at their cost. And that's effectively what's just happened. So it's, you know, it's not going to be the taxpayer that's going to be on the hook, at least at this stage, it's um, it's the banks themselves, and the bank shareholders, and the banks and the bond uh, the bondholders. So they're the ones that um, that are going to um, suffer the consequences here. But the banking system will be held together. So that's the important thing. So it avoids a financial crash, but the central banks can still raise rates to fight inflation. But we might just now find that. Instead of the Fed raising rates next week by half a percent, it might only be a quarter of a percent or possibly even, you know, a pause. But I, I think the Fed now has to be very, very careful about what they do and they can't just have fighting inflation as their sole objective, as they've been expressing now for quite some time. 
So how's this going to play out? Well, look, no one knows. There's too many working parts. And if you're listening to anyone that says they know, then you want to turn turn away and run a mile because no one really knows. There's all sorts of unintended consequences are going to happen here. But what I can say is what I what I pretty much predominantly do, and that's just I look at what the smart money is doing. I look at where the major money flows are going. And in the US, there is no question, as you'll see from the charts, that it's giving a very positive indication that we're back into a um, money is flowing back into the aggressive sectors of the market. And there is also a very high correlation over the long term between um, SMH, which is the semiconductor ETF, and the S&P 500. And the SMH is going up. So therefore, it would follow that the S&P on that correlation should also continue to rise. So what must me do? Well, this is what I had last week, and I I think it's worthwhile reiterating again. Just you've got to have a plan for a start. If you don't have a plan, you're in a lot of trouble. So if you've got a plan and it's it's a decent plan, then just stick to it. Don't get thrown offline by you know, short-term fluctuations, and I'll have more to say on that around lithium shortly. Compartmentalize your portfolio. You can have long-term investments, you can have shorter-term trades with defined risk, um, but make sure that you understand the risk of every transaction that you're doing. Think out the risk first before you take the transaction. And if you do all that reasonably well, then the profits just tend to take care of themselves. So simply manage risk as defined in your plan. And trying to figure out what's going to happen next week, next month or next year is just a completely wasted effort. It's going to lead you down the wrong track. So just stick to your plan and that's the best advice that I can give you. All right, American stocks now and then I'll get to the charts. The S&P rose 1.2% for the week um, and there is a very clear, um, undisputable move to growth. It was also options expiry, which normally muddies the waters a little bit on Friday, but I think it was such a tumultuous week that um, the normal market manipulation either wasn't happening or it just got masked by the volatility. Um, But it was options expiry. So if you're looking at a lot of uh, charts that had unusually high volumes on Friday, you, you don't want to read anything into that. That's just associated with options expiry. The US dollar index through all this turmoil uh, fell slightly down to 104.5. The yield was also down, but it was all over the place, but ended up down at 3.43. The VIX um, rose to 25.5. It's still not disaster territory. You know, above 30 is really the market getting very concerned. 25 is, um, I think, is probably about right for what happened. But the really interesting thing is that the two-year yield uh, collapsed and that caused the 10-year, two-year spread to also collapse from around 1% or negative 1% to about negative 0.4%. And these are just incredibly big moves in the bond market. You know, things should be moving a lot more slowly and steadily than this. So let's go and take a look at some, some key charts This is the the 10-year Treasury. We'll look at it over the last uh, six months to get a good picture. So you can see just how sharply the the yields have come down from above four 
to below three and a half. That, that's a big move in, um, in the last uh, week and a half. Um, and that causes that, that move causes all sorts of instability in all asset classes. Real estate, stocks, commodities, currencies, you know, the whole bit. So, you know, we're, that's why it's so unpredictable and, and why no one can be sure about how this plays out. So that's a pretty big move, but at least for the health of uh, the stock markets, it's a move in the right direction. Let's look at the two year, 10 year spread. So we were down here at negative uh, one, in fact, a little bit more than that. And you can just see the massive move in the week as the two year yield uh, collapsed. Um, so, you know, they're the, they're the critical, critical things that happened uh, last week. Now let's, let's look at the, uh, the important charts. This is the S&P. You can see we had uh, three, three up days, two down days, but uh, generally more positive than negative. But if you step back and look at what's really happened to the S&P, it's trading at the same level that it was at in May of last year. So in 10 months, the S&P has done nothing but fluctuate above and below this pivot line, which is around about 3,900 points. Um, now, yes, this we, we were in a downtrend. We're in a downtrending channel. But now, um, with the benefit of hindsight from October, we've now moved back into an uptrending channel, and that has now uh, also been broken. So effectively, it's just it's just a big sideways mess at the moment. But that's at the S&P level, but we can get a lot more insight when we look at some of the individual um, market and sector performances. This is the NASDAQ 100 versus the S&P. Um, I don't think I'd need to say anything, to be honest. So that means that the NASDAQ is, um, is outperforming the S&P and outperforming it emphatically. Uh, this is a relative comparison chart that I've been showing now for a couple of weeks. Um, communication services, technology and consumer discretionary are the three most aggressive sectors of the market, the three growth sectors of the market. And guess what? Over the last quarter, they've been by far the strongest. So there is nothing defensive about the attitude of this market at the moment when you see that sort of setup. This is uh, large cap growth versus large cap value on a weekly chart, just to give you a bit of a bigger picture view. Again, it's the, the speed of this rebound tells the story. This is 1000 growth versus 1000 value. So just a bit of a bit of a variation on the same theme on a daily chart. Um, again, no question about that. This is small cap growth versus small cap value. We've now got, we're now getting a breakout here. So growth is doing better than value. That means money is going back in to the more aggressive parts of the market. Uh, now, really important from my perspective, this is semiconductors versus the S&P. It's just, uh, it's just outperforming the S&P by a country mile. But this is the really interesting chart. Over the last five years, you can see there is a very strong positive correlation between, the, between SMH, what the semiconductor sector is doing, and the S&P. You can see it's very, very clear. 
Um, and, and, and SMH has been outperforming the S&P significantly just recently. The S&P is almost certain to follow. And whether we look at this on a, um, you know, if we look at this over the last 10 years, it's a little bit harder to see here because of the, uh, the scales. But uh, nevertheless, you can see it's very positive um, correlation. Or if we, sorry, wrong one. Or if we look at this over the last, let's say, quarter, there is no question about the the degree of correlation. Now, of late, that correlation is um, is breaking down a little bit because the S and P has gone down while the while the semiconductors have gone up. But there's always periods where these things diverge for for shorter periods of time. The long term is so clear and the correlation is so strong that, um, that I think these two are going to start to move in tandem again fairly shortly. So that's the, uh, that's the setup with, uh, with those particular charts. Uh, if we look at the US dollar index on a weekly chart, down a little bit, but still sort of hovering around this important 104 level. And this is um, the Australian dollar. Um, rose a bit on the week, nothing spectacular, but uh, pretty much mirroring what happened with, uh, with the US market. All right, Aussie stocks, 66.22 was where our market finished. Now our index dropped 2.1% uh, across the week. Hard to know what's gonna happen on, um, on the open on Monday. Um, Materials and energy were the hardest hit over the last two weeks in uh, in Australia, um, but that really is uh, has not been the long-term trend. And at the very least, good stocks are providing highly probable re rebounding opportunities. You know, there's many, many good stocks in Australia, um, both within resources and, and uh, in the non-resource area. Um, and if you prepare to buy them when there's been a period of some significant weakness for whatever reason. It might be the general market is weak or it might be that that particular stock has just gone through a bit of a sell-off period for whatever reason. Then there are a lot of very, very good and highly probable rebounding opportunities in, uh, in our market. Right. Let's just have a look then at the Aussie market. So the ASX 200 looked like that. So we've now um, we've now come back down to a likely support level. Um, bit of a turnaround on on Friday. We may get confirmation of that on uh, on Monday. Uh, this is materials. So pretty hard pretty hard hit, and also plenty of volume in the sell-off in materials and uh, and also uh, energy as well, although energy had a good day Friday. But uh, the finance sector um, certainly um, took the some of the brunt of what was happening overseas. Now let's look at gold because there was a massive, massive move in gold. This is gold on the weekly chart. Um, you know, that's, that's huge. That's the, the biggest candle that you can see until you've got to go back to March of 2020. So the the rebound after um, after the the COVID um, the COVID crash uh, to see a, a weekly moving gold of that dimension. So we're now 
getting back, we finished at um, 1991, almost back to $2,000 an ounce. And um, you've just got to look at that chart and say, well, higher highs, higher lows. Uh, it's clearly a very robust um, short and medium term uptrend and um, quite quite possible that we'll get finally get a breakout above um, the 2060, 70, wherever you want to put that resistance level. Looked at on a uh, on a daily chart, uh, you can see Friday was uh, was the biggest move of them all. Now, if we look at GDXJ, um, it's not as enthusiastic as I would have hoped for. And I don't know how to read the volume because it was options expiry as well. But, um, you know, this I just thought gold stocks might have been entitled to do a bit better than they uh, than they did. So that just makes me you know, sort of slightly cautious on uh, on the gold price. So one twenty two in one twenty two dollars was the gain in gold um, on the week. And only 15% of it was due to the lower US dollar. I think that's a really interesting uh, aspect that most of it was just, you know, straight out buying, you know, perhaps because of the the, the uh, banking situation. Now, we've got the Fed quarterly decision next week, and the quarterly decisions are more important than the monthly ones because they go into far more detail. They give their, uh, you know, their dot plot projections for future interest rates. And that's going to be critical for the rest of 2023, uh, certainly for gold, because, you know, gold has been struggling because of the rising interest rates, but also for, for all, asset, all other asset classes as well. Um, the, the line between um, inflation, the inflation fight uh, and protecting the banking system is is really the the key thing here, and and that'll be that'll have a huge influence on um, on gold from uh, from here on. Now, when we translate that into Australian dollars, um, huge rise in gold. The Australian dollar didn't do much, and we're now at uh, three thousand and six in Australian dollars. So that's uh, hugely profitable territory. Um, it was a strong response on Friday, but not as strong as I uh, as I would have liked, as I mentioned before. But look, Aussie gold stocks, um, I would expect, uh, should respond pretty well in this week coming. Looking at other commodities, copper was uh, a little bit weaker. Um, nickel was at ten dollars forty seven. Um, so the the commodities are still struggling a bit with with the um, fears about a global recession. Uh, it's probably not warranted. I think the the central banks have very quickly stepped in and uh, calmed things down. So I really don't see that the global recession is has suddenly become you know a new um, uh, a, a new fear for the market. And so I think there's opportunities building in this um, heavy sell off that we've seen in resources. Uh, crude oil was hit very sharply. It was down eleven dollars on the week, down to sixty six. Uh, and that certainly uh, punctured um, the energy sector. I think this one is a big overreaction. Um, I, I just don't see the what's what has happened in the banking system as having that much impact on uh, global demand for oil. So opportunities there. We're not there yet because energy stocks are falling very sharply. So you don't want to you don't want to step out in front of the traffic. But um, I think there's certainly a great opportunity building there.
Now, if we look at lithium, um, lithium is really interesting, and I think there's a terrific opportunity here as well. Now, these are the these are the Shanghai prices. These are the prices that the media is running with to you know point the finger at the lithium sector and say you know look how far lithium prices are falling. So lithium carbonate um, f- mid fifty thousand US dollars. Lithium hydroxide, uh, just over 60,000. Um, spodumene um, is, is actually around 6,100. Um, and to put that in perspective, the, the peak price that, um, that was achieved by Pilbara Mines in their auction process was uh, around about 8,000 uh, recently. But look, the key here is that um, the, the sell-off in lithium prices is not as large as the simplistic media has been portraying. The headline prices in China, uh, you know, are clearly being manipulated for um, for you know vested interests. When you include uh, Japan and Korea in those uh, prices, you actually you get better prices. Lithium carbonate. Um, is more like 60,000. Uh, lithium hydroxide is more like 70,000. So, you know, we've, we've get these periods where there's just some market manipulation happening to achieve a certain outcome. It's just commercial reality. So these periods are engineered to, I think, to throw as many investors off track as possible, to get you to second guess what you're doing, to sell really, really good assets for far less than you should be selling them for. So I really think that, um, again, you, you don't want to just you know, buy into a, a price that's, uh, that's falling very quickly. You know, that's dangerous because prices can fall a lot further than what logic would dictate. But I sense that there's a really good opportunity setting up here in the lithium sector. Here's the spot copper chart. Um, as you can see, down over the last couple of weeks, but but did just tick up a little bit last week. And um, there's the copper inventory. So the price fall in copper has not been because of anything that happened at the inventory level. There wasn't a build-up in um, in copper uh, levels in the LME warehouse. So it's really just um, it's really just forward projections about the possibility of a recession. And there's the spot nickel chart managed to uh, to kick up after some pretty heavy selling the week before. So wrapping it all up, what does the end of cheap money mean for investors? And when I say the end of cheap money, we've, we had four decades of, of a downward um, falling uh, interest rate. We're now um, a year or so into that turning around and going up and going up pretty sharply. So what does that mean for us? It means that we're going to have a more stringent environment. I think whether the Fed keeps going, pauses, cuts rates, whatever it might do, we're going to have a more stringent environment than we've had for the last decade or so. Um, and so stocks that are going to be successful in this environment over the long term will have to have these things. And this is not an exhaustive list, but these are certainly some of the more important things. They've just got to have great management that's got a good track record of, you know, making the right moves, allocating capital well, um, and, um, and you know, just doing things in a smart manner. And, and also stocks that have got great assets, whether they be 
intellectual property assets, whether they be mining assets, whatever they are, they've got to have really good assets. Um, companies should have little to no net debt on their balance sheet because we don't really know what the consequences of all these stresses on the banking system uh, and the bond market is going to do. They need to have pricing power because we really don't know what the in inflationary environment is going to look like. Uh, yes, in inflation is appears to have peaked and is coming down, but could it get another leg up? Yes, it could. So I think companies really need pricing power to be able to maintain their profit margins. And they need to be operating in an, in an environment um, which, which strong growth is almost assured. And to me, the only way that you can get uh, strong assured growth is that you you plugged into one of the many mega trends that are being driven by society, by demographics, by you know really big picture unstoppable forces. So if the company that you are looking at is not in that sort of area, then you probably want to think twice about buying it, because you just need as many things in your favour as you can. And finally, the stock needs to be not expensive. It needs to be cheap relative to its probable growth. So if you can tick all those boxes, then you're going to have a pretty good investment, I think, for uh, for the longer term. Portfolio analysts last week, we looked at in great detail, just dealing with the uncertainty in the volatile markets, controlling what we can control, you know, and despite what most people think, you can control most things in the market. There are some things that are completely out of our control, so just don't worry about it and focus on what we can do. That's it for this week. There's more information on the website. There's my email address, and um, I'm sure we'll have a, another um, very volatile week as markets try to, to price in a, a very new and a very uncertain environment. Be back with you next Sunday. Cheers.